All right. How are you guys doing? Good? You're warm? No, let's be honest, we're not. That's okay. You're here. That's all that matters, right? I'm Andy, uh, director of family life here at River Glen, and I'm pumped you're here. Real quick, if you feel like there's like a broken water pipe sound, that's our baptismal filling up. We're good. We're not in danger. Um, we're going to do some baptisms later, and that's going to be awesome. So anyway, um, we are wrapping up this series, Netflixmas, uh, by looking at one of the greatest movies of all time to come out of uh, Hollywood or anywhere Christmas Vacation, right? Uh, how many of you are fans of Christmas Vacation? It's like part of your yearly tradition, yeah. Um, this is a great movie. Christmas Vacation is all about the Griswold family Christmas, right? And Clark, uh, the dad, he is, he is excited because he finally gets to host Christmas, right? And he has some plans, but uh, as you'll see, they don't uh, work out as well as he thought they would. So take a look. Did I tell you I talked to my mother today? And? And they've decided they're coming for Christmas, too. You know, it's not too late to change our plans. No, 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 no. that's great. It's great. I think you're forgetting how difficult it's going to be having everybody in the house at the same time. Honey, they're family. They're not strangers off the street. All they do is argue. Folks, folks, Merry Christmas. Being decent to ask the grandparents to stay at a hotel? Well, I, I don't know what to say, except it's Christmas, and we're all in misery. We were going to call, but Eddie wanted to make it a surprise. Yeah. You surprised? <laughs> surprised, Eddie? <laughs> if I woke up tomorrow with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised than I am right now. I can't believe you're actually standing here in my living room, Eddie. Mm. <laughs> Never thought the day would come. Yeah, I'm excited about it, too. Yeah. It's a crying shame the older kids couldn't make it. Do you have some fire claw? No, Bethany, those are Christmas lights. Don't throw me down, Claw. I'll try not to, Aunt Bethany. Hello, everybody. Hello, Just everybody. In the you should say it. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. You're not doing anything constructive. Run into the living room, get my stogie. My tree. So what's the matter with you? Look what you've done to my tree. It is an ugly tree anyway. At least it's out of its misery. May I remind you that, that this was all my all... idea? No, no, no. I'm well aware of that, honey. All right, so I won't lie, uh, Christmas Vacation is definitely one of my, my favorite movies to watch each year, and it's not because it's like, you know, real meaningful, it's really just funny, and it makes me feel better about myself, right? Clark is this guy who has this plan. He's always a go big or go home kind of guy, and so when it comes to hosting Christmas, he's like, oh, let's do this, right? Huge expectations. He wants to have an amazing tree. 
this perfect dinner. He's going to literally light up his entire house so that the neighbors are jealous of him. He has all these ideas. He wants to put in a pool with this Christmas bonus. And what happens is none of them work, right? It all falls, falls through. The lights don't work. The food is horrible. His crazy cousin shows up, right? The bonus never comes. At a certain point, a cat eats a strand of Christmas lights and explodes, Okay, that's the warm, fuzzy part of the movie. But beyond that, everything goes really, really bad. And what we see towards the end of the movie is that Clark is this guy who, he wanted to just do it right. He wanted to do it big and nothing works. And he's deflated and he's upset and he's frustrated and, and he's just down because Christmas was ruined. And I think that each of us kind of have a little bit of Clark Griswold in us, right? Like when it comes to the holidays, we want to we do it big. There's just something special and we want to do it right. Now, I don't know anyone that's like him, as crazy as he is, but I think we all have this idea of, oh, let's make this special, right? As a youth pastor, I tend to do this. I, I like our youth group to be awesome, and so, um, you know, when it comes time for the Christmas party, you want the Christmas party to be awesome. It's the end of the first part of the year. Students are excited to be done with school. It's, it, it, Christmas is coming up. They're going to bring their friends, so you want the party to be awesome. Well, last year with our middle school group, I had an idea. I was like, ooh, I had this really cool idea. And, and we already had uh, some good stuff planned. We were going to play dodgeball. We had ice cream. We had an uh, ugly sweater. And we had a Christmas message. It was solid, right? And then I interjected my idea. And so in my infinite wisdom, here's what I came up with. I was like, you know what would be cool? If we recreate the 12 days of Christmas with our own words, Right? We'll make our own version of the 12 days of Christmas. And what we'll do is we'll put like a student on day one, two students day two, and on and on and on, and 12 students in day 12. And, and we'll make this big like music video. And we'll come up with our own words and our own actions. And I'll videotape it. And I'll edit it. And I'll put it on YouTube. And it's going to go viral. And then Ellen is going to invite me on. And Jimmy Fallon's going to tweet about me. And it's going to be crazy. I'm going to be the best youth pastor ever. And I'm explaining this to the leaders. And they're just like, that look. And I've gotten that look before, and it's not a red flag. They, they just don't understand. So <laughs> I, I go about my idea, and we run into some problems. First, trying to get students into all these perfectly sized groups is impossible. It's like herding cats. It doesn't work, right? And also for 12 days, you need 78 people total. Well, we had well over 100. So we end up with like the 14 days of Christmas, and there's like 30-some students in day 14. It, it was a mess, right? And it wasn't going as planned. And then we're trying to get them to figure out their words, right? Their new lyrics to their song and the actions that go with their song. And that did not work. Try to get 30-some middle schoolers to agree on one thing. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work, right? So we ended up with like half the students arguing amongst themselves. The other, like a, a good chunk really not caring. They're like, let's play dodgeball. This is stupid. And then the other half, they're totally into it. And they're just, but it all ended up the same. It's like tw 10 girls dabbing, you know, five girls dabbing, four whip at nay nays, and that's it. It was like a middle school dance and I'm an angry chaperone and no one's listening to me. And in the end, I'm just watching my, my YouTube dreams go down the toilet. And I'm like, this is horrible. I videotaped it, I'll be honest, I have never watched it since, okay? Um, the 12 days of Christmas turned into 14 days of anarchy, I'm yelling, I'm frustrating, the kids are losing their minds, it was a mess. So I did what any veteran youth leader would do, and we ended it as soon as possible, played dodgeball, fed them candy, good to go, redeemed the night, but... It was a close call, all right? It was, it was pretty bad. And I think that around the holidays, this is what we do. We have these big ideas. We get wrapped up in the planning and the parties and the celebrations. And like Clark, 
We want to do it right. We want to do it big. And it doesn't always work, right? Like for us, all kinds of things. Like this is the year. This is my year to host the perfect dinner. I'm going to get the china. I'm going to get the crystal we haven't used since our wedding, right? I'm going to make that thing on Pinterest. And it's going to look like the thing on Pinterest, right? And no one will even want to eat it. It's going to be so pretty. They'll just look at it and take photos and put it up on Facebook. It's going to be great, right? And I'm going to get my kids the best presents this year. They will brag to their friends about how good my parenting skills are, that I am on fleek with my skills, whatever that is. I will do it. I'm going to create the most epic yard scene ever, right? All the inflatables, the lights, it's going to be gorgeous. The neighbors are going to drive by. They're going to be like, Oh, do I have to pay to see this? Like, they're going to take selfies with my house. It's going to be so amazing. We're going to get great Christmas cards, great Christmas cards. Everyone is going to be smiling and looking directly at the camera, and we're going to be in a good mood while we do it, right? And then the family is going to get together, and it's going to be an amazing family Christmas. I'm going to invite that uncle. I probably shouldn't invite, but I, I have a feeling this is the year. He's going to, he's going to respect me. And he's going to be nice. And we're going to end the night all getting along, singing Oh Holy Night to Candlelights while the teenagers wash the dishes. Merry Christmas. <laughs> right? This is it. This is it. This is what it's going to be. And the reality is we end up using paper plates. Right? Your Pinterest dish looks like someone ate it and then vomited it back out onto the dish. Right? The reindeers don't look like reindeers. They look like dead reindeers. Nothing works with the Pinterest. Stop it. Right? Your, your kids open their gifts and they're like, Cool. And then they're like, <laughs> Snapchat, right? Like they're back to their phone. Or your toddler opens up his GIF, and he takes the toy out, and he plays with the box for the rest of his life. And there goes all your money. Your epic inflatable scene, right? It's a deflated, sad-looking snowman. And Santa's down the block, and some guy's tree, right? Your, your Christmas card, you are the only one smiling, and it looks like you're in pain, and everyone else is looking off wherever. Your family gets together. Your uncle is not behaving. He's not. He's clipping his fingernails at the dinner table. Who is this guy, and why did we invite him again? Someone brings up the election. Night's ruined, so you watch a Christmas story three and a half times, and you're out of eggnog. That's reality. Merry Christmas, right? <laughs> this, is, this is what it is. This is what we do, but let's be honest. I mean, that's funny, and that happens, and we recover, but a part of us wants Christmas to be really awesome. A part of us wants it to be special, meaningful, right? And we have these expectations, and these pressures, and these standards, and they're unrealistic, and, and, it, and it's dangerous. And when we fail at Christmas, when it doesn't go as we wanted it to go, we end up kind of deflated, sad, angry, empty, right? The Christmas blues, they're a real thing that people experience. And, and I've been there. I've been on the other side of Christmas thinking, man, that did not go as planned, right? And if it's something you've experienced, maybe we have missed the point of what Christmas is, right? If Christmas is stressful, draining, it causes you anxiety, it makes you extremely busy, if you feel pressure to live up to some expectations, right, have the perfect celebration, if you're like Ellen, where you're like, well, it's Christmas and we're all in misery, if that's your attitude, maybe something is off, right? You've probably not focused on the hope of the Christmas story, but maybe just kind of surrounded yourself with the hype of everything going on. Ask yourself, on December 26th, are you going to be able to look back at, at the Christmas season, right, and say to yourself, that was awesome. We celebrated the best news the world has ever heard. Or are you going to look back and feel like you missed an opportunity, Right? Are you hoping to survive or are you celebrating hope? Are you focused on the planning or are you focused on the person this holiday is all about? Are you celebrating Christmas or are you celebrating Christ?
That's the question I think we all need to ask ourselves. Because Christmas is a week away. And and I don't want to lose sight of why we do this and why we're here and what it's all about. And so in order to do that, what I'd like to do is talk about hope. Because I think that you'll see at the center of the Christmas story is hope. Right? It's what Christmas is all about. Hope is defined as the expectation or desire that something is going to happen. It's the desire for something to happen. And if you think about it, all through our lives we experience this, this hope, this this longing, this need, this expectation for something to happen. We're always thinking about the future and what could be, right? It's an essential part of living. It's what makes us human. It's not an accident either. In fact, I would argue that we are wired for hope. And when I say that, what I mean is God has put in us on purpose a desire for something, a need for something, an expectation for something. He created us this way on purpose. And it doesn't really matter what you believe about God. I feel like this is true. We've all experienced this need, this desire, this hole, this void that can exist in our life for something to happen, something to come our way. And I think this is evidence, this is a fingerprint, a clue that God has left behind that causes us to start asking the right questions so that we seek him out, right? If you think about it, everything else in our world uh, just operates on instinct, just basic instinct, animals and nature. But we as humans, we have these, these deep down desires that can even cause us to go against our own instincts, right? We have something more. We have hope, dreams, longings. Why? Well, because God placed that in us on purpose. And you can't deny that it exists. Solomon, he's one of the wisest men who's ever lived. He wrote this book called uh, Ecclesiastes. And in it, he, he talks about his life and how he was this guy who he wanted it, he did it, he did whatever he wanted. He had these desires and he fulfilled those desires however he could, right? And in, in Ecclesiastes, here's what he says. <clears throat> he says, he, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Let's focus on that one line. He has set eternity in the human heart. What he's saying is that eternity is what all of us are trying to to hope for. We can't maybe put a word to it or, or, or describe it, but what Solomon's saying is that thing that you want is eternity. And in, when we're in eternity, we're with God. And when we're with God, all our desires of the human heart, all of them are fulfilled, they're met. Those needs are met. So really what he's saying is that eternity is the ultimate hope, the ultimate desire. And God has put it in there on purpose, saying he is what you ultimately desire. He is what you need. He, he created us for him. So it only makes sense that he would be the only thing that can fill that void, that hole that can exist in our lives. But what happens is we don't, we don't always look to God. We look to other things. And we have other desires that put us in opposition to God. These are our sinful desires. And what they do is they cause us to look to something else besides him, to love things besides him, to make other things our gods, to rebel against him, to turn from him. And so this is a problem because God has wired us that he would be the answer to to uh, uh, that hole in our life, that void that exists, that desire, that need. He would be it as the answer, but what happens is we start looking to all these other things as answers, and it doesn't work. It doesn't go well, right? And we're left wanting and searching and looking for something, something to fill that void in our life, something to fill that hole that exists. But God put hope in us so that ultimately we would seek him out, right? But we get lost along the way. 
We get lost. Something that will help us understand why we go wrong, where we go wrong, comes from a pastor named Paul David Tripp. And he explains that hope has two parts. It has uh, an object and then an expectation, right? So the object is what we're hoping in to make the expectation happen. Expectations are what we hope for. The object is what we hope in. And so in other words, because we're wired by God for this very thing, for hope, we're continually looking in our life for something. We're searching, we're looking for something or someone to fill these needs in our life, these desires, these expectations. And for a lot of people, what happens is around the holiday, we start to experience this hope even more. It's elevated. We we look at our lives, we think maybe this is the year where things change. And we see this play out because we make Christmas into this big thing. We think it could be something, should be something, look like something, feel like something. And we develop these expectations around the holidays, right? And and what happens is we hope for the wrong things and we hope in the wrong things and we lose sight of what Christmas is. So first, we develop the wrong expectations. So for many people, because the holidays are a special time of the year, we go crazy. We, we start planning. We go big. We have all these dreams and hopes that it's going to be this perfect thing, this ideal thing, right? That it's going to make me forget about some of the other things going on in my life. Or maybe just going through the holidays will fix some of the problems in my life and undo my worries. But these are not healthy expectations, right? They're setting us up uh, to be disappointed, Because who said that Christmas was some day that had to be perfect and had to go perfectly? That dinner had to be pretty, presents had to be expensive, singing had to be on key, right? Who determined the standard for a Christmas celebration? Who promised we would get everything everything we want? Who promised that our problems would disappear? I think if we look at the first Christmas, Jesus' actual birth and everything around it, leading up to it, what we see is it is not a perfect situation at all. It is not an ideal situation for anyone involved. Think of Mary. She's a teenager, she's not married, and she's going to go have her first child. Right? She's traveling in the midst of all of this, traveling because the government says so, traveling 60 miles to do a census. And she's probably traveling by foot or maybe by animal. Right? You, she, she gets there, she can't find a place to actually stay. So... Maybe she's in a cave. Maybe she's outdoors. Maybe she's in some kind of primitive shelter. She's surrounded by strangers and their animals, right? She's far from home, far from family, strange place, strange circumstances, having her first kid. Nothing about that is ideal. And then, to top it off, when her son does arrive, word spreads that he's a big deal. And the guy in charge, King Herod, hears that this kid's a big deal And he puts out an order to have him found and killed. Merry Christmas, right? Nothing about that seems good or ideal or perfect. But the point is that God didn't intend this to be about some perfect day. That's not the point. It's not about things going our way, just the way we plan. The point is what happened, who showed up, a perfect Savior. That's the point. So we need to ask ourselves, what expectations do we have around Christmas that might be causing us to celebrate Christmas but not celebrate Christ, right? Also, we put our hope in the wrong things, the wrong object. Because we hope for the wrong things, we hope in the wrong things to make it happen. So for most of us, that's going to become us. We're going to be like, I'm going to get it done, or it's going to be someone else. They better get it done, 
right? And it's all about us making things happen, pulling it off. I need to, I have to, I want to fill in the blank in order for Christmas to be a success. And if we can't pull it off, or if someone else doesn't pull it off, it's ruined. Ruined Christmas. And when we do this, it creates lots of stress, lots of pressure, lots of anxiety, lots of tension for things to go right. And when they don't go right, and they rarely do, it creates a lot of anger, uh, frustration, um, sadness, maybe guilt, maybe shame, maybe broken relationships, right? And even when things do work out, the feeling fades and we're left with just kind of, well, now what do we do? Now what do we do? We make Christmas all about us and what we can do or what we can get, and we place hope in the wrong object. We put our hope in the wrong place in ourselves or others, right? Sometimes, uh, or something besides God. And when we do that, it doesn't go well. So around Christmas time, what are you hoping in, right? For that perfect Christmas, for a success, is it, is it yourself? Is it someone else? Or are you focusing on God and what he's already done? Somewhere along the line, we stopped uh, focusing on this amazing story of what happened, who, who Jesus is, what he came to do, and we started focusing on the celebration aspect of it all. And, and, and I'm not anti-celebrations at all, Right? I love all the crazy stuff we do. I listen to Christmas music in October, okay? So go big. Do the lights, right? Eat the food. Buy your toddler a tablet if it gives you a nap, okay? Get the ugly sweater. Be as ugly as you can be. Cook the Pinterest dish. Good luck. Send me a photo if it works out, right? Prove me wrong. Walk around with your mistletoe. Don't do it at church. That's weird. But celebrate, whatever, right? But if we get caught up in the idea that our celebrations are the whole point, right, what's going to happen is we're going to lose sight of what Christmas is about. And Christmas is this great time to find hope. It's a great time to start thinking about answers to, our, to life's issues and problems and hopes and dreams and all these things. But what we do is we come up with the wrong expectations, we hope in the wrong things, and we get distracted from the answer that's right in front of us. A passage that nails this idea comes much later in Jesus' life, but it, but, it, but it really hits on what's going on uh, in our lives. And it's a story of Mary and Martha, and they have Jesus over as a dinner guest, okay? Now imagine pressure. This ain't your crazy uncle. This is Jesus, and he's coming over for dinner. You can't just go to pick and save and get a veggie tray for Jesus, okay? Cutting up, you know, Velveeta isn't going to suffice <laughs> for the Son of God. So there's this pressure, Right? So here's what happens, Velveeta. <laughs> Is it even cheese? I don't know. <laughs> As Jesus and his disciples are on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. <coughs> and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Right? She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Right? So Martha is going to Jesus to be like, will you rebuke my sister to make her busy? How many of us find ourselves with that same kind of attitude uh, around the holidays, running from here to there? It's got to be perfect. Preparation. So much has to be done. Oh, I got to get so much done before they get here. It's got to be right. Right? And we end up extremely busy, too busy, and distracted for Jesus. Right? So busy that we lose sight of what matters. <clears throat> you see, we're wired for hope. We seek to fill it. And the holidays provide an opportunity 
to fill that hole, that void that can exist in our life. But unfortunately, we fill it the wrong way and with the wrong things and in the wrong way and we hope for the wrong things and things don't deliver and it leaves us wanting. And we see this around Christmas because we're so good at celebrating what we can do. And we end up distracted and we don't celebrate Jesus. We start, we start backwards. We start with the celebrations, the shopping, the music, the decorations, the meals, the cards, the, everything, all the planning. And again, I'm not anti any of that, right? I love this stuff. None of that is bad. Doing these things isn't bad, okay? The hippopotamus song is bad. Let's just be honest, all right? Dressing up your pets is weird, <laughs> right? Fat-free eggnog, it's a sin. But beyond that, it's not really, but I just hate it. Beyond that, right? All these things we do are fun. I hear about people's traditions and the goofy things they do, white elephant gifts, all these things. It's awesome. But if Christmas becomes all about what we do, we have definitely missed the point. We have definitely missed the point. And we get so busy and we get so wrapped up that we leave little room for Jesus in our whole Christmas celebration, right? To think about him, to honor him, to worship him, to praise him. We forget we become Martha's and we run out of time and December 26th rolls around and we're left with that feeling like maybe, maybe we <laughs> forgot about someone, Jesus, right? But if we started with the right mindset, what Christmas is truly about, we could go into the season and into Christmas doing things based on what Jesus has already done and our celebrations would be a response to who he is and what he did. So if we pick back up on the story of Mary and Martha, we see that Mary got it right. And here's what Jesus says. He says, Martha, Martha, right? You are worried and upset about so many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary figured it out. She realized in the midst of all this craziness, Jesus is what was most important. He is the hope that she had. He was what filled all the voids in her life. He is what met her expectations. He is hope. He is the object. He is the expectation. So I got to ask you, have you found hope during Christmas? Are you celebrating it? It's not too late to shift this whole thing around and make Christmas about Jesus. Let me share from you the scripture that I think we celebrate at Christmas time. It's simple. And we've already looked at it in this series. It comes from Luke 2.11. And it's an angel. And he says to a group of shepherds, he says, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. That's it. Louis Giglio, he calls this the 12 words of Christmas. It's what it's all about. It's 12 words that sum up the whole point, why we celebrate. We're celebrating 2,000 years ago that a Savior came down to earth in the flesh, and he's Christ, he's King, he's God, and he came for us, right? This is what our hope is based on, the fact that God came down for us. And because he came down, we have something to hope in. We have an object that can meet our expectations. Right? When God came down in Jesus, he didn't come to condemn us, to tell us to get our act together, to yell at us. Right? He came to show us what he's truly like. He's a God of love and mercy and grace and compassion. He's not here to harm us. He's here to heal us. And as a savior, he came to save us from our sin. All these times that we turned against God, rebelled against him, decided, you know what? I know better than you do. I'm going to be God in my life or I'm going to make something else God in my life, right? All these things, they have consequences in our life, right? And Jesus as Savior comes to take those consequences away 
right? The ultimate penalty. He pays for it on the cross. He saves us from the punishment for our sin. So because Jesus came, we have something to hope in because he accomplished what we could not accomplish, right? And then because Jesus came, we have something to hope for. Because of what he accomplished, what we deeply desire, what we deeply need, eternity is possible, right? A relationship with God because he came and took our sin on the cross. It is gone. And once that is gone and out of the way, we can now have a relationship with God. We can be with God. And all of our deepest desires are met. Everything that we need comes from having a relationship with God. Love, unconditional acceptance, significance, meaning, purpose, approval, all these things that we long for throughout our lives are found there. Right? And through Jesus, we get it. So let me ask you just a simple question. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Does that guide your Christmas celebrations? Who Jesus is, what he did, is it even part of your Christmas celebration? It's not too late. You see, for Clark, it seemed like it was too late by the end of the movie. Everything had just fallen apart. But what he realized is, I missed the point. I need to focus on what I love the most, his family. You see, for us, it's not too late. We, don't, we may have missed the point, but all we need to do is shift our focus to what we love the most. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's Jesus. Right? If you're not, maybe this is the year where things change for you. You start asking yourself some questions. You think, why am I doing this Christmas thing? What's it all about? Where am I looking for hope? And so what I want to do is end by asking some questions that will get you to think about um, Christmas and how you celebrate it uh, over the next week. All right? First, is Jesus your hope? For some of us, because it's Christmas time, we go to church. It's what we do. It's what we've always done. But if I say is Jesus your hope? That's a question you maybe haven't wrestled with yet, right? Is Jesus your hope? Does he fill this void in your life? I think if we're honest, we've all experienced that void, right? No one walks around thinking, oh, I've never longed for meaning, never longed for purpose, never really hoped for love or acceptance, right? These are things at some level we've all experienced, right? And if you haven't experienced it, I think you're lying to yourself. We've all experienced these needs, this void, this hole. It pops up. And so if you haven't run to Jesus for that void, what have you run to? Does it work? Does it, does it last? Does it bring you joy or does it bring you moments of happiness and pleasure? Right? Does it bring you lasting peace or are you afraid that you're someday going to lose this thing that you're dependent on? Right? What have you experienced in life that will love you like Jesus, accept you like Jesus, give you the meaning and purpose? I'll tell you, there's nothing else out there. It's all temporary, but Jesus is eternal. He's forever. And you know what? I've been there. I've been seeking, looking, trying to find something that's going to fill that void in my life. And what I've discovered is that there's only one thing, and it's Jesus. C.S. Lewis, uh, he's an author, genuinely smart, amazing guy. He wrote this. He said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. What he's getting at is if you have desires and hopes and dreams and you cannot find anything in this world that will meet it, there's got to be something else out there you haven't found yet. And it's probably not here. It's probably somewhere else. And what he's saying is it's God, right? God gave you the desires for hope for him so you would seek him out. 
You would have these desires and look for the answer. And he is the only answer. So you keep searching, you keep looking, you keep trying, and eventually you're going to get to a point where you realize there is nothing out there, right, except for Jesus, right? That's because that void, that hole, it can only be filled by him, only by him. If Jesus is your hope, there's no need to run, there's no need to keep trying new things, finding things that will fill this hole in your life, finding new answers. He is it. He came, he died, he loves you, he's given you the opportunity for life. Do you believe it? Do you want it? Then turn to him. Turn to him. Embrace him. Find forgiveness and find true life and find hope. Second, are you celebrating hope? I think celebrating hope means we do an inventory of our lives. We look at all the things that we used to run to or we can run to. Jobs, ourselves, um, money, people, whatever it is, status. All these things that we sometimes put all our hope in. We do, uh, we do an inventory and we say, you know what, that doesn't control me anymore. That's not my hope anymore. It, it matters, but it's not ultimate. Jesus is king over my life and these things, they don't have to be. I am free. I have real life now, right? And we can celebrate the fact that we have life and peace and joy and they are rooted in Jesus and that cannot be taken away from you. See, the amazing thing about Christmas is it can't be ruined because it's based on something that happened 2,000 years ago and it cannot be undone. The good news never goes away. What Jesus did for you does not disappear. And so we celebrate that as we go through life, it gets hard, it gets frustrating, but Jesus is the same and the message is the same and what he did for you and offers you never goes away. And we celebrate that, right? As a family, you can celebrate this. Right? You can make a part of your Christmas. You can talk about this. As parents, we're responsible for what we do with Christmas, how we celebrate Christmas. And we can make it about hope. If you have older, older kids, teens, talk about hope. I'm going to recommend you ask your teenager, what do you hope in? And then you sit back and you listen. Right? And you'll be amazed by all the things going on in their lives, pulling at them, tugging at them as answers that will just be a dead end. And then you say, how can I pray for you? How can I help you? How can I love you better? Right? How, how can I model what it means to find hope in Jesus for you? Right? That's what we can do as parents. Right? If you have younger kids, you could develop habits and traditions that make Christmas about Jesus. There's a resource we recommend called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's like one of the best children's Bibles there is. I love it. We have some out at the Resource Center. They're $10, and that's cheaper than Amazon. That is a miracle in itself, right? Amen. So you can go pick one of those up, and along with it is a Christmas reading plan for the next week, right? And you can just go through and look at stories in Scripture and how they're about Jesus, and you can celebrate a Christ-centered Jesus with your kids, right? Will they listen? Will it go as planned? Will, will your toddler just sit and listen to you in awe? Probably not, right? Never does for me. But it's amazing habit where your kids, as they grow up, they'll look back and it'll always be a part of their Christmas celebration, right? Finally, um, we won't be celebrating here at River Glen on Christmas morning, but that doesn't mean you can't celebrate on your own or as a family. We've prepared a message that's going to be online or we have a DVD out at the Resource Center you can grab. And so on Christmas Day, carve out some time and you can watch that. And that'll give you a chance and all the craziness with all the things going on, right, to just carve out some time and focus on Christ together, right? Finally, are you sharing this hope? Christmas is all about this amazing news, this amazing thing that Jesus did, that he came to rescue us and save us. That's an amazing message of hope. 
who are you sharing that with? Right? Who are you sharing that with? Here's some simple ideas. Next week during our Christmas Eve services, there are going to be a lot of people here who have never been here, never heard that message, never, never experienced what Jesus is truly about. And so to make it better for them, more welcome for them, to help us get the message out, we're looking for people to help us, volunteers. Right? In your program, there should be a list. Volunteer at one of our Christmas services to make it work, to make it run smoothly for all the people that will be coming here. Right? Also, invite someone with you, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, Invite someone. People are so will more willing than we like to imagine to come if they're invited. It's Christmas, right? There's candles. There's music. We love it. They'll do it. Invite someone, all right? Invite someone to hear this message of hope. And then finally, show people love, right? Share the hope by showing love. I think around Christmas, unfortunately, we can get very selfish. We guard our time. We're rushed. We have all these things going on that we have to do, and so we lose sight of everyone around us. Show random acts of kindness. Invite someone over to dinner who maybe not, doesn't have somewhere to go. Right? As a family, maybe go to a grocery store before Christmas time and just look for families who might need some help and give them, give them gift cards so that they can have an awesome Christmas meal. Right? Stop by a place where people work on Christmas, like a, like a fire station. Bring them cookies. Bring them coffee. Bring them hot cocoa. Show them you care about them. Right? Leave a present for your mail carrier who's bringing you all your uh, presents you bought on Amazon. Right? Leave something for them. Watch a young couple's kids so that they can have Christmas together and focus on their relationship. Shovel your neighbor's sidewalk, scrape off a random person's car. These are all little things that you can do. They're random. They don't take much time. But it's spreading hope. It's making people realize they have value, that someone cares about them, that there's people in this community who care about them, that there's a God who cares about them. Is Jesus your hope? How will you celebrate it? How will you share it? Right? Notice I didn't say, you know, you need to go home and you need to take down that tree. Right? You need to take those gifts back. Right? You need to burn your Mariah Carey CDs. That's an option. Right? There are a lot of Christmas albums out there, okay? Um, we can do, sorry, Mariah. But anyway, um, she won't listen to that. Maybe she will. That'd be awesome. But there's, there's, those are good things. These are fun things. But we have to remember that none of it compares to the good news of who Jesus is and what he did. So this Christmas, let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate that. Right now, what I'd like to do is celebrate together just by remembering what Jesus ultimately came to do. From day one, from the moment he was born, he was destined to go to a cross and be crucified. And what we do each week is we take communion, and it's open to all followers of Jesus. And what we do is we remember what Jesus did, right? And the bread, it represents his body. The juice represents his blood that he poured it out for us, that he gave up his life so we could have life. And we remember that together. So what I'd like to do is just pray and then we can celebrate what Jesus did uh, by taking communion. Father, I just thank you so much, um, A, for your love. That you love us so much that you would send Jesus to us to, to come as a savior, that he would step off his throne as king and he would come as a servant, a humble guy, that he would live this amazing life and then he would die this incredible death for us in our place so that we could experience life, we could experience eternity with you. So all these things that, in our, that we desire and hope for in our life don't go unfilled, but we find that hope in you. And I thank you so much for the message of Christmas. I pray we don't lose sight of it because it's very easy to. 
There's so much going on. There's so many temptations and distractions. But help us this next week to make this time about you as a family, as individuals, at work, wherever we are. Help us focus on you. I thank you so much for who you are, for the amazing things you've done. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name.